0: and welcome into the Wednesday October the 16th edition of the Locked On Dolphins podcast. I am your host Travis Wingfield and as always I am here to bring you your daily dose of Miami Dolphins football. And on today's show it is Crossover Wednesday and we'll talk to Joe Marino of Locked On Bills to figure out how much Miami is going to lose by on Sunday. But first, we'll go back and look at the All-22 from the Dolphins' closest game yet on Sunday, the Josh Rosen charting project, horrible offensive line play, and some really sound defensive effort. And I'll point out the five most important players to watch the final 11 games of the season. But first, before any of that, I kindly invite each and every one of you to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Leave us a rating. Leave us a review. You can give me a follow on Twitter. It's at WingfieldNFL. The show is at LockedOnFins. And of course, check out LockedOnDolphins.com. We have the Josh Rosen charting project up there live right now. Let's go ahead and dive in. And before we get to the All-22, a couple of news items real quick off the top. A report from a league source, and that was confirmed by Barry Jackson of the Miami Herald and Hal Habib of the Palm Beach Post, says that Brian Flores is safe not going anywhere, no matter how many games this Dolphins team loses this year, he'll be back for 2020. We talked about this on previous podcasts. He was the only coach hired this offseason to get five years fully guaranteed, opposed to the normal coaching contract that goes four years with a fifth-year option to see how that coach is done. But Flores, for the penance he paid for this season, gets a guaranteed return in 2020 on the other side of this rebuild, hopefully. Other news, the Dolphins claimed cornerback Ryan Lewis off of waivers. He has been with five teams in three years, most recently of the Buffalo Bills, who the Dolphins play on Sunday. He takes the roster spot of Johnson Batamosi, who was cut on Monday. And with that, let's go ahead and jump into this Josh Rosen project. And I'll be honest with you guys, if this continues for a couple of more games, I'm probably going to cut bait and just get to the rookie quarterback class because at this current rate, not only is Rosen proving to not be a long-term franchise answer, Right now, he's not playing at an NFL level, not even enough to justify bringing him back as a backup next season. And you go to the piece up on lockdowndolphins.com, we have all the statistics and details, and we'll get to that here in just one minute. But there's a couple of plays in this game on Sunday that I think really perfectly exemplify the difference between Josh Rosen and Ryan Fitzpatrick and a quarterback who's a journeyman towards the bottom of the league. But how far Rosen is away from even being at that level in the way he anticipates, in his timing, in his trust, and that's. That goes both ways in terms of the way he reads the leverage and his trust in his own throwing arm and his trust in the design of the plays. There's a great video I put up on Twitter showing the seam shot to Mike Gesicki where he is late compared to Ryan Fitzpatrick throwing a seed to Mike Gesicki with timing and anticipation. It turns into a 30-yard pass reception Whereas the pass from Rosen is a beat late and winds up almost getting picked off by Landon Collins if he just hangs on to the football. So check that out. And I think the final video in that thread is the one of Ryan Fitzpatrick throwing a touchdown to Devontae Parker and the way he sells a flat route, even though there's no receiver going to the flat to get Landon Collins off of his spot to open up the window and where he's excelling and Josh Rosen is not at all and why he is largely complicit for some of the shortcomings this offense has experienced so far. You go to the piece up on LockedOnDolphins.com, the data is not kind, and Miami did try a bunch of different ways to get some offensive production out of Josh Rosen, it just didn't work, and it all fell apart very early, 3 sacks on his first 4 dropbacks, and from there, Miami stripped this thing down to its bare bones, and just threw passes behind the line of scrimmage, only 4 of Rosen's completions traveled beyond the line of scrimmage, the distance on those, one, five, five, and 10 yards. Rosen ended the day with 85 total passing yards. Dolphins receivers had 105 yards after the catch. They had more yards after the catch than Rosen's total yardage. He compiled just 48 air yards. For an average of 1.92 air yards per throw. They had to protect Josh Rosen both from the offensive line and the poor protection, but also from himself with his consistent late reads that winds up getting himself killed or his receivers killed like he almost got Preston Williams decapitated on the first pass of the game. He was 0 for 1, 20 plus yards down the field, 0 for 2 in the 11 to 20 yard range, and 17 for 22, 0 and 10 yards or behind the line of scrimmage. The Dolphins used multiple personnel groupings. They went heavy a few Times with Isaiah Prince eligible. They did that twice. They went 03 personnel once, 11 personnel 19 times, the primary one, but they went 21 personnel three times, 12 personnel three times, and 20 personnel two times. So they're finding ways to get multiple backs into the game, multiple tight ends, bringing them in tight, giving max protection to find a way to get Josh Rosen comfortable back there. And it's just not working. He was under duress on only seven of the 30 dropbacks so far, four sacks, two hits, one hurry, for an average time from snap to pressure of 3.01 seconds. That's higher than any time Ryan Tannehill had last season, and still not a good day. They were 10% conversion rate, just three first downs on 30 dropbacks, one of nine on third or fourth down. He was in the shotgun 27 of 30 snaps, and I tabbed him with nine mistakes from the game, four from inaccurate throws, Four from poor timing and feel, and another with a poor decision. It's just as bad as it gets right now for Josh Rosen. This is a losing performance, pretty obviously. He now has two of those against the Chargers, against Washington, and one inconsequential performance against Dallas. Check out the article up on LockedOnDolphins.com for more detail on his game. There's about 16 videos in that thread, and of course, all the advanced metrics you've come to know and love from Locked On Dolphins. To round out the offensive side of the film study, You know, I know Mark Walton had a big day from a production standpoint, but most of the yardage that he made was schemed into the game. When I watch him run, there's not a lot of explosion or lateral agility. I think he's a nice back, a decent option as maybe a third back or maybe a low end number two back, but I don't think he's the kind of guy that can really give you conviction about your tailback situation. If he's one of the prominent guys in the backfield, Kenyon Drake It's pretty much the same story with this guy every single week. He makes the first guy miss as much as anybody else in the NFL. And he's explosive that way. But those same mistakes continue to pop up every single week. The small details of his game that make me believe he's not going to be here for the long term. Drop passes. Blown pass protection assignments fumbles, whatever it might be, mental lapses just the lack of attention to detail continues to plague Kenyon Drake we all know how I feel about Kalen Balazs he had 5 snaps in the game Sunday I think that pretty much tells you where the coaching staff feels about him, on the offensive line Michael Dieter has to get so much better continues to reach, get out over in front of his skis, and gets beat on lateral moves from inferior pass rushers like Trayvon Hester, that's just not good enough, you have to be better Jamarcus Webb, I mean he's a street free agent tackle he's playing like it, Jesse Davis Off the right side has just been beaten badly time and time again. Ryan Kerrigan, I talked about this in the preview. He's not the most explosive speed rusher anymore. He used to be, but he's not that anymore. Still good, but not great. But Jesse Davis made Kerrigan look like the all-pro that he used to be. So that's a problem. The center Dan Kilgore, it's the same story with him as well. Some inconsistency issues. He does okay in some areas, but he's not great. I do believe they'll replace him next year. And then right guard Evan Bame is the one that I most like I think on this offensive line I think he has the best chance to stick long term based upon what we've seen through five games so far but still right now it's not looking like a promise that any of these guys are going to be here long term and then out wide and at tight end Mike Gasicki is coming man I'm telling you this guy is getting better in every aspect of the game he's doing more in pass protection he's doing a good job chipping and finding the contact and being the one that initiates the contact he's staying on his feet more often he's making contested catches now I think Gasicki's going to be Unlocked in this offense. Maybe not this year, but sometime under this regime, Kosicki's going to get unlocked. At receiver... Preston Williams, his short area routes have not been good. I don't think he's separating. That slant route's not very good. I think Devontae Parker's having a very nice year. The production comes when the quarterback play gets better. He hasn't really had the big-time numbers, but he's been consistent. He's been steady, and he stayed healthy. A nice change from Devontae Parker. And then Albert Wilson, I don't think that he is right, and I'm not sure if he ever will get healthy. Kevin Dern, friend of the podcast, told me way back when this happened if he doesn't get surgery, he'll never be the same, and if he does get surgery, he won't be the same those hip injuries are no joke so this offense very bad but fortunately the defense was much improved and we'll talk about that on the other side but first long day at work still stuck at the office open the DoorDash app choose what you want to eat and your food will be delivered right to you wherever you are right now our listeners can get five dollars off their first order of fifteen dollars or more when you download the DoorDash app and enter promo code Locked on. And you fed yourself for the night. You've wined and dined. Now it's time to take things up a notch in the bedroom with Blue Chew. BlueChew.com. That's blue like the color blue. Blue Chew brings you the first chewable with the same FDA-approved active ingredients as Viagra and Cialis so you know they work. Whether it's your missus or your right hand, you can take them anytime, day or night, and get yourself ready for when the moment is right. And this isn't just for guys who can't perform, it's for any guy who wants extra function to enhance their performance in the bedroom. Blue Chew is prescribed online and ships straight to your door in a discreet package, so no in-person doctor's visit, no waiting at the pharmacy, and best of all, guys, no more awkwardness. They're made in the USA, and since Blue Chew prepares and ships direct, they're cheaper than a pharmacy. Right now, we've got a special deal for our listeners. Visit BlueChew.com and get your first shipment free when using our special promo code MLB. Just pay $5 shipping, again, that's B-L-U-E, Chew.com, promo code MLB, to try it to day for free. Blue Chew is the better, cheaper, faster choice, and we thank them for sponsoring the Locked On Dolphins podcast.
1: There's a chance I
0: overplay this song from now until forever, basically, because I feel like this is the theme song of this particular season for the Miami Dolphins. We're all just waiting to get onto the other side. And with the news that Brian Flores and Chris Greer and company all going to be back for 2020, not that it's a surprise or anything earth-shattering, but I do think it's nice to go ahead and get out in front of that from the Dolphins front office and the media perspective and just go ahead and make that statement right now. I'm excited about it. I think Coach Flores earns or deserves a chance, and one of the reasons I think he does deserve a chance is because of what I'm watching every single week in the defensive structure of his philosophy on defense, he and Patrick Graham, and what they can do when they get more of the personnel that fits what they want to do on defense, and in particular, guys that can execute the 3-3-5 bare front, like we saw with Green Bay on Monday night. You guys saw me tweet some videos out of Kyler Fackrell doing a job off the edge in that defense. They don't have that guy right now, but if they can get him, Roll in particular, they can start to incorporate more of that type of defense, the man coverage on the back end, the way they challenge receivers and reroute, and the way they are gap sound and they've run fit. I think it's impressive the way they want to play defense. They just haven't been executing all season, obviously, because they are short on bodies. They overturned half of the roster. And now that they have guys that have been here for a few weeks, they've been showing more looks from the Patriots that I thought we were going to see early in the season and And now we are seeing it, one of those being the radar amoeba package, whatever it's called. Basically, you put one down lineman up over the nose and then you have a bunch of guys stand around and search for gaps to rush. And it's not been that effective because one, Jerome Baker is not a good pass rusher right now. He is doing nothing. He's playing passive, getting beaten off the ball and washed out on the run plays against the pass as well and I do think he's doing better in coverage, but Aguavin, he just, it's not him, man. He's not it. I talked about him in the preseason. That was a farce. He is getting thrown to the ground all the time. His snap count's now reducing, obviously. Raquan McMillan, though, continues to be the best at finding his run keys and keying on those plays and triggering right away, getting himself downfield. He scrapes as well as anybody. He's an excellent tackler, initiates contact. He was one of the stars of the defensive thread, or the defensive gif thread, I should say, up on Twitter, and I wrote down five names here for you guys that I want to watch going forward. One of them was Mike Kosicki. We talked about him in the open. Evan Bame, another one of the five. He's an offensive lineman. Talked about him in the open. But three defenders here that really stand out is guys to keep an eye on going forward, looking for their development as potential future fits on the 2020 and 2021 roster and beyond. And I think we start here with Vince Beagle, who showed you multiple reps as a pass rusher, up over the nose, stacked as a linebacker, coming off the edge. He's doing a lot and he plays with that, engage physically, be the first one to attack the offensive lineman, not the Dennis system where you engage physically in step number two but where you engage with the contact and be the one that initiates that contact and you set the tone he does that well I think that Christian Wilkins is coming a long way with his power at the point of attack I showed a rep in the defensive thread again where he holds the point against a very strong Morgan Moses it's impressive the pass rush will come but right now he's working on that part of his game and then also Nick Needham had a very good game on Sunday the PFF grades thought so I thought so he shows you some very strong technique footwork and recovery speed. The things that I thought they saw on him in tape in college, he showed some of that in the game on Sunday. They targeted him three times according to Pro Football Focus. None of those went complete. The most impressive one was a slot fade where he initiates contact at the line of scrimmage, gets in phase right away, and then when the receiver goes up to make the catch, he separates the hands at the catch point. We saw the Lions do that on Monday Night Football. We saw Needham do it on Sunday as well. I think that he's a guy to watch going forward. So keep an eye on all five of those guys. The defensive video thread up on my Twitter timeline, at Wingfield NFL. And just a few more quick notes here. I thought Taco Charlton did a good job defending the edge in the run game on a few reps, got washed out in a few others. I thought Devon Godshaw had a pretty poor game. Bobby McCain had some lapses in run defense as well as in coverage on a long touchdown, though he made a great play on that pass breakup down towards the end of the game in the end zone. And lastly, because we have to get it in, Eric Rowe had a very strong game on Sunday as well. Okay, so the Washington game is in the rearview mirror. Let's go ahead and transition now back to the regularly scheduled programming, the weekly beatdowns here for the Locked On Dolphins podcast, and welcome in the guest for Crossover Wednesday. He's one of the creators of the Draft Network. He hosts the Draft Dudes podcast here on the Locked On Podcast Network, and he's here because he's the host of the Locked On Bills podcast. He is Joe Marino. Joe, what's happening, buddy?
1: Hey, Travis. I'm doing good, and I look forward to getting into some some talking points regarding these teams.
0: Yeah, we talked a little bit on your show about how I wish we could talk some more football, but I just don't see the point because I think we all know how this game goes. But as I told you in our pre-show correspondence... There's just not much to break down on this team because we know what happens on Sunday. The Bills can basically sleepwalk through this game as far as I'm concerned and find a victory. So before I start asking you questions about how this Bills team went from, you know, a potential first overall pick in the draft last year with the way they've stripped the roster down to now one of the top 10 teams in the league, can you just kind of summarize here for Dolphins fans, the season to date, the four and one record, maybe the week schedule, who is this Bills team exactly right now in your estimation?
1: Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, this is a football team that I think has a lot of fans and it has a lot of doubters. They're 4-1, which is a great record. Uh, They've been in some difficult situations that they've been able to get out of. I mean, you look at week one, they were down uh, 17 points and turned over the ball a bunch and came back and won the football game. And so you can say, wow, they were really sloppy, but then you can kind of take that silver lining approach and wow, they found a way to win a football game that maybe they shouldn't have. And uh, and then they took care of business against the Giants and then they allowed the Bengals to creep back in, but still won the football game. And then they, they played the new England Patriots. It's a 16 to 10 loss, but the bills turned the ball over four times, had a blocked punt for a touchdown. Their starting quarterback's gone with a concussion and uh, they still lose by only six points with multiple chances to win the game in the fourth quarter against the best team in football. And then they beat the Titans, and everyone wants to talk about four missed field goals from the Titans. So, you know, I think the Bills, I think there's an expectation for them to handle their business against Miami, but some of the tougher opponents that are coming, like the Eagles uh, next week, like Dallas, like Baltimore, another date with the uh, with the Dolphins, those types of games will be revealing. But, uh, I mean, outside of that, the, the schedule's pretty soft, and as much as people want to talk about who the Bills are, haven't played they're not really going to play anybody that daunting the rest of the way they could wind up winning 10 11 games and be a team that people doubt even though they make the playoffs
0: and that's i totally agree with your point on that i hate the argument that your schedule is weak therefore your season somehow is invalidated we heard about that in 2016 with this dolphins team so i just agree with you that it's a it's a it's a bad argument from my from my side of things but i do want to ask you a follow-up about sean mcdermott and the future of this team because this dolphins team We're all in on the future. It's, you know, 2019 is a wash already. And you kind of asked me about Brian Flores and the Lockdown Bills podcast. Where where do you feel about Sean McDermott? And would you agree with my contention, which has gone back pretty much through the offseason, that the Buffalo Bills really in this division are set up the best long-term to take over the Patriots' reign when the Brady and Belichick era ends?
1: You know, the Bills have had fast starts over the last 20 years. And those fast starts have resulted in massive losing skids and not making the playoffs. What makes me feel differently about this football team and them not kind of, you know, imploding on themselves and not being able to sustain success and not be able to handle success and those types of things is Sean McDermott. It, It is the culture and the foundation that he's laid. And, you know, when he was, Uh, first hired as head coach. He had a lot of buzzy phrases about the the process and getting certain types of players that are wired the right way and guys that have the right DNA and have the right makeup and, you know, certain just way guys are wired. And people were like, oh, Sean McDermott hates talented football players. He wants, he wants choir boys and church boys and boy scouts. And he doesn't want to have anyone talented. and He trades away Sammy Watkins and Ronald Darby and Marcel Darius and all these types of things. And it was just about him getting the right mix of personnel in the building to buy in. And, and, and what's been different about this football team, I think they are really talented. They're probably – a top 10 or 15 team in terms of overall talent, but they're not like a top five or anything like that. What's different about this football team is that Sean McDermott has instilled the culture that these guys love being around each other. They love playing football uh, for each other. They love being part of this football team, and I think that it inspires everyone to just play to their maximum. I know it sounds cheesy. That sounds like something a seventh-grade football coach would say, (laughs) but it's led to maximum performance, and you've heard a lot of different things about Sean McDermott about him having guys every single day during training camp get up and share their story and really uh, be, be vulnerable with their teammates. And, you know, everyone puts their cell phone in a basket during lunch and everyone eats lunch together. It's just a lot of camaraderie. It's, it's really translated to that accountability on the football field and knowing that the guy next to you has got your back and you love that guy and that you are going to go to war and you're going to want to fulfill your assignment because you don't want to disappoint that guy. And, and I know I'm probably sounding like a coach or whatever right now, but I think this is the stuff that really matters. And it's why the Bills have been able to dig themselves out of holes. It's why Josh Allen has so many game-winning drives on his resume and fourth quarter comebacks on his resume, because there is a belief, there's a togetherness, there's a camaraderie, there's a culture that exists on top of talent that has led to this football team finding its way right now.
0: No, I don't find that cheesy at all. And you've got me pumped up, ready to run through a wall right now. And I think that's something the dolphins fans can kind of take solace in because so far in year number one, the results aren't there, we know that, but that's been Brian Flores' message about the team unity and the right guys, not the most talented guys necessarily, and how he's not a big fan of the star player who wants guys that you know wants the attention on themselves. He talked about Xavier Howard and the strengths that he has, and how he's hungry to get the most out of that natural ability. So I think that those are two similar coaches in the way they think. I think the Dolphins can learn a lot from the Bills operation and where they are now. And when we come back on the other side here with Joe, we're gonna get some more questions about the Dolphins. One of the Dolphins biggest division rivals rather. But first, what's better than putting some money on a football game? Do you ever find yourself wishing that you could make some extra cash with your NFL knowledge? Of course you do. At MyBookie, they want to make your dream come true this season. Right now, all players are invited to play in the free $50,000 survivor contest winner takes all. Pick one team each week, survive the longest, and you can take home $50,000 in cash. Make a successful deposit with my bookie, and you'll receive your free entry into the contest today. Between the football season, baseball playoffs, and the start of the NBA season and NHL season, it's time to get off the sideline and get into the action with my bookie. If you're going to bet this season, do the smart thing and go to MyBookie.ag because no one gives you more ways to win. And if you join right now, MyBookie will double your first deposit. Just use promo code LOCKEDON to activate that offer. That's promo code LOCKEDON. Visit mybookie.ag today. You play, you win, you get paid. I've got Joe Marino here, the host of the Locked On Bills podcast. It's crossover Wednesday here on the Locked On Podcast Network. Travis Wingfield, your host, for the Locked On Dolphins podcast, and Joe, I teased this preliminary, preliminarily, wow, easy for me to say, upon introducing you, but the Bills had a bit of a roster exodus, and you kind of alluded to it there with Watkins and Darby and Darius, and I was curious to ask you, can you just walk us through what it was like and the buttons the Bills have pushed since that time to get into this position where they're probably a Josh Allen concussion away from a 5-0 and start?
1: You know, you you kind of think back to those deals, and it it really kind of stems further back. It it goes to that 2017 draft where the Bills had the number 10 pick overall, and of course they traded that to the Kansas City Chiefs, and uh, they bounced back to number 27 and got another first-round pick the following year, and of course everyone wants to talk about that the Bills could have drafted Patrick Mahomes in that spot, but... That didn't happen. Okay. (laughs) So uh, the Bills wind up starting to accumulate that draft capital right then and there to position themselves to go get a quarterback. And I don't know that the Bills ever intended to tank. And, And that was a common theme with the football team throughout the course of the summer and building up to the season. And then, of course, whenever they traded Watkins and Darby, it really got into high gear. But when you look at the Watkins and Darby deals, they they got draft capital back, but they also got players. When they traded Sammy Watkins, they got EJ Gaines, a cornerback back. When they traded Ronald Darby, they got Jordan Matthews, a wide receiver, back. And so it was about getting that, that draft capital uh, to make sure that they had the ammunition needed to move up to go get a quarterback. And, of course, the Bills tanked their way to a 9-7 and seven finish and made the playoffs in 2017. <laughs> And um, to me, you know, it was all about just getting ammunition to go get um, to go get a quarterback. And and you think about it. It it was one of those deals where I'm sure that Sean McDermott spent his first eight months on the job evaluating the people that were already there and saying who's going to be part of the long term here, who is wired the right way and has the right DNA and makeup to achieve this culture that I'm trying to build. And he identified probably Darby and Watkins and said, those are guys I can do without let's get what I can from him, them and make sure that I can get a quarterback in a quarterback driven league. And then this set up a series of moves. The bills wind up with those two first round picks having picks 21 and 22. Right. I mean, they didn't they weren't in the top 10. They took Josh Allen at number seven, but it was a series of deals. It was then trading up from 21 to 12 with the Bengals and giving up Cordy Glenn, the left tackle. And then it was about trading two second round picks to move from 12 to seven to get Josh Allen. And so it's it's a different situation where, you know, I don't think the Bills were ever trying to deplete, deplete their team of talent to position themselves to pick high in the draft. It was about gutting the roster and making sure you can get the right guys in there and have the ammunition needed to make sure you got your quarterback. And at this point, I think the Bills think they've accomplished that.
0: And one of those guys they wound up with was Tremaine Edmonds, who has just been fantastic for you guys so far. A great draft pick indeed. And when it comes to the draft, you guys know Joe as one of the senior members, senior writers for the draft network. And so we have to ask this question for you, Joe. You're a draft expert. You've got your finger on the pulse of this quarterback class. How would you rank this class and kind of fit Josh Rosen into that as well? Is there a massive gap between Tua and the rest? Is he the real deal? Just kind of go over your quarterback rankings for us, if you would.
1: I love Tua. I mean, I love him. He's my number one player in the class. I watched every throw he made in 2018, and I've watched him a good bit so far this year, and at some point I will watch every throw he makes this year, and I think Tua is absolutely... Uh, a guy that I can see being a high level franchise quarterback for a long time in the NFL. Uh, what's really weird about saying that Travis is that he doesn't necessarily have great physical gifts. Sure. he's not the biggest. He doesn't have the most uh, the, the, the you know massive arm strength. He's not uh, very athletic in terms of his ability to scramble. But how comfortable he is under chaos, when things break down around him to be comfortable and get the football into the right spots is something I really love. I think he's accurate to every level of the field. I think he's a quick processor. He has a quick trigger. And um, I think all of those things are going to play into him being a very dynamic quarterback in the NFL. And, and, And I think he's got the intangible component that you're looking for in your, you know, the face of your franchise. And so, you know, I, I, I love him. I absolutely love him. I don't care that his supporting cast is elite. That doesn't tell me one thing about his ability to to handle chaos when things break down around him. Uh, he's he's accurate, and I think that really matters. And, yeah, he's accurate to really good football players. I don't care that he's left-handed. That's the one of the worst talking points <laughs> I've ever heard when it comes to a quarterback. To me, he's the real deal. If I had the number one overall pick right now, I'm taking Tua. Now, the, this is where things get interesting. Interesting Because for so long, we believed the next guy was Justin Herbert. But the more we watched Justin Herbert, we realized that Justin Herbert's been the same player for three years. Mm-hmm. And while he's a, he's a tantalizing talent with really good physical traits, and um, he's got a live arm, he's athletic, he's got the size that you're looking for, he can make some really dynamic throws, when that first read's not available, when things break down around him, he gets funky, right? He doesn't make great decisions, his accuracy dips when he comes off of his first read, and you just don't necessarily think he's anywhere near 2-0 when it comes to controlled chaos and being able to operate. And so maybe he's not QB2 anymore. Maybe that's Joe Burrow out out of LSU, who's had the best season to date of any quarterback in college football, who's really emerged now that Joe Brady's there as their passing game coordinator, really changed the scheme. And you see a really different offense and a really different looking quarterback in Joe Burrow, who has just been money in terms of accuracy to all levels of the field. He's got good size. He's got a good arm. He can move and he's handling pressure. And you can just tell he's, he's, he's got the type of makeup that you're looking for in a franchise quarterback. I've been listening to his interviews and um, I'm very excited. Now, what's, what I try to be really careful with Travis is like, is being mindful that is he the flavor of the month? Is mm-hmm. is he? Do we not think of him like Herbert just because we don't have as big of a sample size of him playing games and and really can get frustrated with you know perpetual mistakes showing up? And so I'm trying to. I'm, that's what my big task in terms of you know, dissociating myself from the Bill side of things as a draft guy. I'm trying to find that answer and I'm going to get that answer because they're going to play Alabama. They're going to play Mississippi (laughs) state. They're going to play uh, Auburn. You know, they're going to play good teams the rest of the way. If they keep winning, they're going to play even better teams. So we're going to get answers, but this dude's aced every test. He aced the Texas test. He aced the Florida test emphatically. And so I'm very anxious to, to see how he continues to evolve. I think one of the best, um, best, ways to understand growth from a player is, is to look at how they progress when more tapes available, right? This LSU mm-hmm. offense is new, it's new for everyone. And so there isn't a lot of tape out on it. And now that there is more tape on it and the, the challenging opponents are starting to stack up here towards the, the middle to later portions of the, of the, of the schedule. How does Joe Burrow respond when teams are more familiar with him and what he does well, and they start to specifically scheme for taking that away. That's going to give us that answer, but I think that we're very close to believing that Joe Burrow is QB2, and in that conversation with Tua for QB1.
0: And we're probably running late on time here, but I want to keep this going, because this is fascinating stuff from you, Joe. I really appreciate it. And one of the things I keep seeing on Twitter, which you know is the ultimate great place to get football takes, right? Twitter. (laughs) (laughs) But the one thing I keep seeing is that Joe Burrow's had the best season, and I won't disagree with that, but you mentioned the 2018 tape, which was not good. It, It just wasn't It wasn't anywhere near what these guys are playing at right now. And then you see the same folks argue that Tua had a bad game against Georgia or Clemson after he had that knee surgery, you know, to repair the injured knee he had in the LSU game. So my question to you is, how do you respond to something like that with with the sample size you mentioned? Because you can't just take Burroughs 2019. That's not the complete package like you mentioned. And how do you kind of compartmentalize that argument that he's better than Tua now because of these seven games? And like, just, I guess, kind of expand on that if you can.
1: Yeah, I'm not ready to say he's better than Tua. I'll tell you that right now. And I do think you make a good point. But, I mean, I, I guess in my head, just coming up with this off the fly, I mean, it's it's like Drew Brees with San Diego Chargers versus Drew Brees with New Orleans Saints. When you're in a different situation, you know, you, you respond differently. And I think that we're in a situation that's more conducive to show the skill set that Joe Burrow has. Everybody loved Joe Burrow last year. There was a ton of buzz around this guy. He was just in a dated offense that didn't accentuate any of his ability. So I chalk it up more to the, the schematical changes with LSU than anything. I, you know, I just, I don't know how much stock you can put into last year's tape because it it's not, it's not, doesn't resemble the type of stuff he's going to be asked to do at the next level. And he's not been put in the best situation for him to show what he can do. I want to evaluate prospects. At their best, in their optimal opportunities to showcase the fullness of their skill set, I'm getting that this year. It's exciting, and you can. I hope that you can kind of take away some of the caution that I I cast into that, as we still do have an important slate of games ahead for Burrow to finding out what he can be. But you know, I, I went into this. The more the season went along. I said to myself, and, and, and of course, it's interesting because if you actually look at the draft order right now, the Bengals own the number one overall pick. But that's just because they the Dolphins had their bye week already, so they have more <laughs> losses, right? We all know the Dolphins are getting that number one pick. <laughs> but in terms Damn of right. producing mock drafts that are uh, reflective of the current draft order, which is what people want, and that's the business I'm in. It's got to be the correct order. And right now the Bengals have the number one pick. And I'm like, oh, my God, I have to give Tua to the Bengals. There is no (laughs) consolation prize for the Dolphins if they don't get Tua. Yeah, and because that, I didn't think I don't believe in Herbert, but I'm starting to believe in Burrow, but he's still got to convince me the rest of the way.
0: And that's that's exactly where I am. And I'm glad you put it that way because it seems like there is this narrative on, on Dolphins Twitter that you have to pick one or the other. They can both be good players, guys. Joe thinks he thinks they're both good. I think they're both good. And we'll go ahead and wrap things up right there. Joe, but before I let you go, what's the score on Sunday?
1: Man, you know what? Um there's part of me, Travis, that says this could be a twenty one to ten football game and you know, the Bills, they scored the Dolphins score a late touchdown. And uh, it's, you know, it's, it's kind of a boring game. There's also part of me that thinks the Bills can come out and score, you know, 40 points and win 40 to 10. And they're coming out of a bye week. And I know they're going to want to acclimate some new pieces back into the, into the mix here with some of the guys that have been out with injuries. And it's kind of a tune up game. I hate to say that, but I'm being honest with the tougher <laughs> schedule coming, you know, I just, I don't know how that's going to be, how they're going to respond to that. And so I think the Bills win. I, I'm not going to promise you that I believe they cover the spread, but I think the Bills will win by a couple scores.
0: Well, I was going to say it's, it's two bye weeks in a row for you, so don't worry about offending feelings over here. <laughs> he is Joe Marino, the host of the Lockdown Bills podcast. Joe, thanks for joining me, man, and tell the folks where they can find you.
1: Absolutely. Uh, I produce a lot of content, whether it's Bills-related or draft-related, which I'm sure Dolphins fans are quite interested in. <laughs> you can find me on Twitter at TheJoeMarino, and the website is draftnetwork.com.
0: So check his stuff out. Check out the Draft Network. They do fantastic stuff. I tell him this every time, but the Draft Network has changed the game. And before we get out of here on this long edition of the Locked On Dolphins podcast, some news late into the podcast. It sounds like Ryan Tannehill rides again. Tannehill will start for the Titans on Sunday. You all, please be sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Leave us a rating. Leave us a review. Check out the other Locked On Sports family of podcasts for all the local and national coverage of your favorite teams. Follow me on Twitter at Winkfield NFL. Follow the show at Locked Fins. Keep up to date on the Daily Dolphins blog over at LockedOnDolphins.com. You guys have a great rest of your night. We'll talk to you again tomorrow for another edition of the Locked On Dolphins podcast, your daily dose for Miami Dolphins football. Go get them, Ryan.